0: we tape Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Our guest today is Missy Bienvenue Andrade, CEO of the Community Foundation of Acadiana. Community Foundation of Acadiana, or as it's called CFA, is a tax-exempt 501c3 foundation whose core purpose is building legacies and improving communities by connecting generous people to the causes they care about. CFA focuses on the parishes of Acadia, Evangeline, Iberia, Lafayette, St. Landry, St. Mary, St. Martin, and Vermilion. This is Missy's second appearance on Discover Lafayette as we interviewed her a few years back when she was president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Acadiana. It's hard for me to think of a more important philanthropic organization for our community than the CFA. Missy Andrade, thank you for joining us and making the time to share your mission.
1: So happy to be here, Jan. Yeah, so round two. Round two.
0: You have dedicated your professional career to making our nonprofit sector sing. You've done very well.
1: Thank you. You know, uh, I don't I don't know if I would have seen where the journey would have taken me. I don't know if I ever even saw myself doing community work. But once I drank the Kool-Aid back mm-hmm. in 2023 at what was, at the time, the Greater Lafayette Chamber of Commerce, um, the last 10 years of my professional career— Uh, have not only been really exciting, but I just feel so fortunate that each Mm -hmm. day I get to go and work with individuals and organizations whose entire purpose is to
0: make our community better. Yeah. And you know, to me, the cool thing is when I look at the boards that you've worked for, you know, the chamber, uh, the current CFA board, um, Boys and Girls Club, you work with a lot of successful people in business and in industry that also care about our future and today they care about today but you're you're really learning a lot more than you may realize just from rubbing shoulders
1: no doubt yeah. i will tell you uh, my time at the chamber turned one acadiana um i knew a lot of the leaders around the boardroom table i had heard of their companies i, I had i knew something about their um you know their their work in the community but Every time I got to work with them, visit with them, meet with them, I walked away so impressed that these very successful, very busy people Mm -hmm. were making time to give back. It wasn't just about their bottom line. It wasn't just about the Mm -hmm. success of their own company, but they were making time to sit and have difficult conversations, ask tough questions that— yeah. ultimately make our community better. So I got to see that at the Chamber. I definitely got to see that at Boys and Girls Clubs. And now at CFA, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. People who um, have done well and are very accomplished in their personal lives, but really feel the the pull and the tug to give back. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that through their work at the Community Foundation.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we're here in Raider, uh, our, our podcast studio at Raider. Jason Secor, thank you for of course. taping today. And I know that Chris Raider, owner of this company, is one of your esteemed board members. So shout out to Chris.
1: Shout out to Chris. Mm -hmm. And you know, last year when we were working with the nominating committee uh, and trying to identify new board members, we very specifically said, we have a gap when it comes to technology and IT. We would really love uh, a, a professional who understands that world and who understands philanthropy. And yeah, lucky for Chris, yeah, <laughs> he was the guy whose name rose to the top, and mm-hmm. we're really
2: fortunate to have him.
0: This probably doesn't bode well for you, though, Jason, because whenever Chris gets involved, Jason Sikora, it always gets ends involved. up on my plate. Yeah, yeah. No,
2: it, it's fun though. It's, it's I get to get away from the IT stuff for a little. Yeah, while.
0: yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this story, but it was I guess six. Plus years ago, I had just started this podcast and I had some issues making the timeline that I wanted to make. And so Chris goes, "Don't worry, we got this done." So he just puts the puts it on Jason Secor's lap, and we've been working together now. As you know, you've been a volunteer through Chris, yeah, pre- yeah pretty
2: much six it, years. It's great though, yeah, yeah. So you're clearly like a solutions guy, yeah, yeah. Oh, solution focused always. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. So let's talk about the community foundation of Acadiana. Um this was begun, I believe, back in 2000. It's in been 2000, around yep, 20 we are in year 23. Years. and so you've been there over a year. Yes. So, talk about your role and what does the CEO of Community Foundation do?
1: September was the one-year mark for me, and uh, gosh, it has both flown by, and of course, mm-hmm. some days have felt quite long. But uh, I-, I can't tell you how incredibly fortunate I feel to have been given the opportunity to step into um, a very well thought of mm-hmm. and respected organization in this community and one that I think people over time um, have really had lots of hopes and dreams about what it could be you know in the beginning stages of any community foundation it has everything to do with building the assets mm-hmm. of the organization. It has everything to do with inviting donors to be a part of your work and, to the credit of my predecessor, he did an incredible job of that. Of, Raymond A. Yes, ADR. Raymond, yeah. uh, for two decades, mm-hmm. really um, made it his mission to grow the Community Foundation and to invite uh, a tremendous amount of people, not just in Lafayette, but throughout the region, to come on board as donors. Um, so I have been able to, to step into this role as the new CEO and take my time getting to know our own organization, what do we do? Why do we do it that way? What's working? What's not working? Uh, I've also done a great deal of outreach to other community foundations across mm-hmm. the country to learn a bit o- a little bit more about how they're doing their community foundation work because it is quite unique from organization to organization. Uh, and I knew when i when I stepped into the role, there would be a period of learning and listening. and Once we hit the summer months, um, we really dug into uh, working with our governance committee to develop an RFP um, for a strategic planning process. We wanted to build an RFP that really spoke to what we were hoping to not only learn about Mm -hmm. our own community and community foundation through a a planning process, but really casting a broader vision for CFA 2.0. So we worked with the Governance Committee over the summer, developed an RFP, um, distributed the RFP to consultants across the country. And I'm really excited uh, to share, we have selected a firm called Ekstrom Alley Clanson Associates. Um, they are gonna be leading us through the strategic planning process and they have worked with 150 community foundations wow. across the US. Wow. Most interesting to me is the team of consultants they are actually all former community foundation executives themselves. Mm -hmm. So they really understand the unique machines that are community foundations. Mm -hmm. And when I think about, and we can dive into this a bit more, when I think more broadly about how do we redefine our work with donors, with nonprofits, with other stakeholders in the realm of civic leadership, Extra Malley and Associates, or EAC as we will call them, they know that there's not just one way to do it. They have access to and relationships with organizations who are doing really dynamic work Mm -hmm. in the community foundation Mm -hmm. space across the country.
0: It seems like, you know, as you've been speaking, I was thinking about how giving has changed so much. And then we had COVID, where people aren't working in office spaces. So in the past, I think about the United Way model, and that was maybe for smaller donors across the board, workers would give through their workplace, and they would give to a certain cause. But then, now with online giving and people working remotely, like it seems like everything may have been shaken up. And I always think of CFA as being more big givers. Your, your donors that give, maybe they're not all really wealthy, but I, I think of wealthy people when I think of the CFA that can give chunks of money that make a big difference. But maybe you want to discuss that. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate.
1: Well, I will challenge that a little okay. bit. Okay. So, yep. You are correct in assuming that many of those individuals who utilize a community foundation are big givers. But we have givers at all levels. Um, I will save Sola Giving Day for for another part of the conversation, but um, we have individuals or families who come and establish donor-advised funds or other types of funds, and some of their giving is— very modest, you know, it's nothing crazy. You do have people on the other end of yeah. the spectrum, of course, but that is one thing I'm hoping in this next chapter for mm-hmm. the organization. We want people to know that the Community Foundation exists for anyone and everyone. Now, you don't have to use the Community Foundation to give to your favorite nonprofit, but if you're like me and you're giving to multiple things throughout the year, well, perhaps you want a mechanism where everything is housed in one place and you want to be able to manage it and Mm -hmm. and see your giving over time um, in a way that is, you know, easy to look at, easy to reflect on, easy Mm -hmm. to report on. We have people who they'll say, gosh, I think I sent a check to that organization or I think I already did a donation to them. When they convert and come and use a donor advised fund, sometimes it just cleans some of that up. Um, The other thing I'll tell you, Jan, is— for 23 years, um, we have been very responsive to donors. We have assisted them in all of the things that they want to do. Uh, and we are committed to that, and we will continue doing that. Um, as I like to tell people, I, I believe that in this new chapter of the organization's journey, we can not only meet their expectations, but I think we can exceed them. I think there's things that we could be doing, some, some elements we could enhance or modernize that mm. would you know, improve the giving experience. Additionally, when I look at community foundations who are doing really dynamic impactful work, I do think that they're creating more collective impact opportunities so it's not just about that solo giver or mm-hmm. you know what are you Jan able to impact with your single gift but how are we as a group yeah,
0: driving the bus yes exactly yeah. so mm-hmm. I
1: think that's another big opportunity for CFA mm-hmm. is not just to help you do what you want to do as an individual but identify and create, collaborative opportunities yeah. where we have a shared vision and we're, we're giving towards um, a solution or a project where naturally we're going to get further together than we would just giving yeah. on our own.
0: I always thought about like Baton Rouge Area Foundation. Mm-hmm. I know they've gotten involved in more of the building revitalization efforts and the Dallas Area Foundation. I mean, they're they're bigger places, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of... Um, Philanthropically inclined people here yep. that really want to make a difference.
1: So, I'm hoping through this planning process that we can dig in um, and answer some of these questions. Yeah, like what is important yeah, to Yeah, and not community? just from my desk, you know, what mm-hmm. does Missy want to do at the Community Foundation, but to respond to some of the things that we've heard in the community. So, uh, our friends over at the Batner Jerry Foundation, they are very unique in the way that they are structured. They are incredibly dynamic, and some of what they've been able to do in the community over time, you can see it, touch it, feel it. And I can't tell you how many people say, well, if, you know, if Braff can do it, mm-hmm. can CFA do it? Or why can't CFA do it? Um, and what I've shared with people is, you know, if we want to be more like the Baton Jerry Foundation, I think that there's things that we can do to really mirror some of their best practices. I would say also that perhaps there are other community foundations that are doing some unique things mm-hmm. that could maybe be a better fit for CFA yeah. and for Acadiana. So let's go and do the work, the research, the benchmarking to not just replicate what we see in Baton Rouge, but really try and figure out for our community and the things mm-hmm. that we need and want and hope for, let's build the community foundation that responds best to that. To and us, To our needs. Here. To our needs. And yeah. let's partner with the Baton Rouge Area Foundation mm-hmm. in smarter, more intentional ways and leverage— the strengths that they already have.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this new firm will come in and say their name again. Well, extra, extra, Alley
1: Clontz and Associates.
0: Okay, I'll have to get that spelling from you before you yes, go. E yes. A C. So with the with the knowledge that they have, they must be excited to come into a place like Lafayette because we're a smaller town, but yet I, I think we're dynamic. We have a lot of people that want us to be more dynamic.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think their perspective is that we as a community are coming from a place of strength. You know, we are not looking to rebuild or reimagine the community foundation because we're in crisis. Mm -hmm. It's the exact opposite. I have been given this gift of walking into a strong organization that has kind of uh, arrived at a juncture where we can look back at the great growth we've experienced and say, who do we want to be? And how do we want to build upon two decades of Mm -hmm. incredible work? Um, EAC, because they've worked with so many different community foundations across the country, you know, in our discussions when I have shared, hey, I think, you know, here's one of our challenges or here's one of our opportunities, they are able to really point back to very specific examples, other community foundations who maybe they they already have seen some similarities and they were able to tell me, well— you know, here's where this organization was in North Carolina, and this is how we were able to help them mm-hmm. work through that challenge. One unique component of the Community Foundation of Acadiana that um, exists in other parts of the country but does not exist through any of the other community foundations in the state is a parish affiliate structure.
0: That's what I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. Eight parishes. That's a lot to juggle, huh? Different it, needs for those different parishes. It is
1: a lot to juggle, Um and uniquely, we have this parish affiliate structure that was started probably 10 years ago with the goal of establishing some permanent endowed funds for each of the eight parishes of Acadiana that would generate some available-to-grant dollars that are specific to the geographical yeah, boundaries of the home. parish. Mm-hmm. and. For the individuals who have contributed at a certain level to those permanent funds, they then sit on an advisory board where they're able to to help direct those dollars. Um, Structurally, I think it's really unique. I think it's something that we can really build upon. One of the things I'm hoping that we dig into and discover a bit more through this process is now that we have some momentum and and have, I believe, five of those parish funds up and running, how do we— Uh, provide the best information, resources, data, all that stuff possible um, to not just say, you know, okay, advisory board, what would you like to do? But, you know, based on this information, this data, here's what we can learn about, you know, your parish or your community. Here is a list of all of the nonprofits who exist in your parish. Where do you want to make your biggest impact? You know, we want to ensure that, that autonomy um, always remains because those individuals know their community better than I will. Um, However, I think there's things that we could Mm -hmm. do to just enhance the structure. And EAC does have extensive experience with this in other states. And so I I know this is one of the key components we're going to dive into um, so that we can— Fire on all cylinders, mm-hmm. I suppose, when it comes to being kind of the, the philanthropic engine of the right. region.
0: Because, like, Evangeline Parish has got so many poor areas mm-hmm. compared to Lafayette. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know you've got a lot of competing interest. And in, do you have offices in those parishes, or do you just travel and meet with the volunteers? Today, we travel
1: and mm-hmm. meet. That is historically how it's been done. You um, just meet in
0: somebody's house?
1: No, no, <laughs> typically— um, Typically for those advisory meetings or the affiliate meetings, mm-hmm. uh, an individual who is a contributor typically hosts at their place of business. Right. right. Um, but, you know, you bring up a really great point for some of these rural communities. I mean, their challenges are, are mm-hmm. significant when it comes to you know, how are you going to spend these grant dollars? What's the difference that it's going to make? Um, something we've talked about across the state with my other community foundation colleagues is— Um, Even the idea of potentially doing a a wealth migration study that would really help our rural parishes not just see— I'm sure they're feeling it, you know, who's leaving the community, but what does that do to philanthropy, a generation from now? Do you have the mom-and-pop businesses who are able to Mm -hmm. um, sponsor the T-ball team or or the raffle at school? And if we're going down a path that— is concerning for rural communities, which I think it probably is, what are those things that philanthropy could be doing now Mm -hmm. to maybe plug a hole or to anticipate some of those challenges?
0: Yeah. You know, with our oil and gas demise here in Lafayette and the surrounding areas, I've learned, I guess through my podcast and other just anecdotal evidence, but that donations are down locally for blood. They're down for all these different philanthropic endeavors. And you don't realize till you lose something what you had. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't think about this till you said it, but someplace like Ville Platte and others where I mean they're poor. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the poorest communities in the country. Sure. And it wasn't like that always. So I know things change, and I never thought about the community foundation looking ahead to things like this.
1: Well, it's, and and I would say too, when you get into a lot of the rural communities. There's a pretty steep drop-off in the number of nonprofits, mm-hmm. the capacity of those nonprofits, and what they're doing. So it's not only um, kind of challenging, like, how do you deliver um, those really important services in a rural community, but sometimes it looks different than how you do it mm-hmm. in a in a more, you know, metro, urban, yeah. urban setting like Lafayette. Um, so I hope for the future that part of what CFA can do— um, you know, you can't just figure out the perfect equation for like how do you deliver philanthropy mm-hmm. in a rural community? But I think we have some tough questions we need to ask um, because it's important and we have to figure out how do you make how do you make those resources stretch and how do you get them into the hands of the mm-hmm. the organizations and the entities that really need it to do the work and to fill the gaps that are just naturally going to exist yeah. in our rural communities.
0: Do you learn on the job or are there places you go to? expand your knowledge? Like, how do, you, how do you learn how to do all this?
1: Oh, Jan. Um, <laughs> a lot of it is on the job mm-hmm. learning, for sure. But I will say, again, backing up and, and thinking back to my days at the Chamber in One Acadiana and then Boys and Girls Clubs, I have been so fortunate to work with board leaders who I think recognize my potential and also give me the uh, the encouragement mm-hmm. and the ability to really explore and to reach out to other organizations and to figure out what they're doing and to make meaningful connections. Um, as far as I can tell, there is no playbook for how mm-hmm. to be the CEO of a community foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find one, please let I'll, me I'll know. I'll share it, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what, uh, what, you know, I think part of what I am doing today is— um, I want to believe that I've had a good handle on our community, but in every role I step into, I do get to see the community through a different lens. But it's this interesting balance of trying to gain an understanding of, uh, of our community, of our region, gaining an understanding from our donors. What are you looking to accomplish? How can I continue to serve you in the best way possible? Looking at our nonprofits and asking the same question, Mm. but then at the same time looking at other communities and and dreaming a little bit about wow if if they're able to deliver the work in that way or if they're able to support their donors mm-hmm. you know through that capacity we too can adopt that and modify it to make it work for us so it's this hodgepodge of like getting real clear about who we are and where we are and marrying that with all of the possibilities mm-hmm. that are that are happening outside yeah. of our own community
0: Well, we mentioned your board, and I I don't have their names in front of me, but I know in my past, when I ran Upper Lafayette Economic Development, service on boards, you know, um, I learned more about life and skills from just making friendships with people I served with. Mm -hmm. Like the board um, involvement I've had, whether I worked for a board or was on a board, I I got so much out of it that I wouldn't have learned out of a book.
1: Yep. Um, And the board— all board members. I mean, I I could look at each organization I've been a part of, but they all have a unique skill set and they all have really interesting expertise that if if you can figure out how to best use their perspective and their insights, it can just be so very valuable. And I would hope in turn that, you know, we're creating a more valuable experience Mm -hmm. for our board members by using them in an intentional way, Um, knowing that they are quite busy and most of them have like real job. So not just uh, you know, bombarding them, but being really thoughtful about, you know, I, I need to spend some time with you to, to gain your perspective on this thing that that I think you probably have insight into. Mm-hmm. And one other thing too, um, again, fortunately, I'm walking into an organization where the the call to action is about how do we develop the organization's next chapter. But I love getting in the room with board members. And sharing with them some of what I'm learning, like, hey, this community foundation does this thing or this thing, and some of those individuals come up with the most incredible off the wall opportunities and ideas. And sometimes I'm like, what? And then mm-hmm. I think to myself, no wonder you're so successful, yeah. in your personal yeah. life because you're not you're not looking at this situation just in a box.
0: They're not limited. No, you, by what is? I mean,
1: there there's just so much value in dreaming with them. You know, it's not—I don't think it's my job to say, hey, guys, this is exactly what we're going to do. But I do think it is my job to go and source those good ideas and put something in front of them that they can see and that they can dream about mm-hmm. and then gather their feedback about, is this what you want for your community? Is this what you want for your foundation? Because I am a, I an optimist. There's very little that I say, well, that's impossible. We can't do that. If I can get you excited about something— I feel pretty good that we can, we can Mm -hmm. find a way, a pathway to making it possible. It might not look exactly like what Mm -hmm. we've seen, but if you're on board and you're excited about it and we agree and think that this is what's best for the organization, we're going to find a way to do it. Mm
0: -hmm. Can you share your thoughts about how CFA could partner with local government, the university, other nonprofits, business? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's some of what you're probably looking at with this advisory firm, like yep. you want to move to a much higher level of mm-hmm. effectiveness. But can you talk about what that could be or what your hopes are?
1: I think so. Um, when I was working in my statewide role with Boys and Girls Clubs, I would go into new communities, and I would specifically ask people to help me understand the dynamic between local government, the chamber or the business community, the community foundation if they had one, their United Way other nonprofits, Mm -hmm. the school district. I wanted to know, like, what are the power dynamics at play here? Who's really making decisions? Who plays well? Where are maybe some of the obstacles or roadblocks? Um, When I think about the community foundation, you know, in the context of our own region, I know that for, you know, for 20 years, we really have been so focused on the donor and we've engaged in some of those partner or stakeholder conversations, but that really, that hasn't been the the big uh, focus of the organization. But today, um, I've spent a good amount of time over the last year visiting um, with the leaders of of all of those different entities, you know, within local government, within the university, within the business community, um, economic development, you name it. And have tried to gauge, you know, what do you think the role of philanthropy is in the world that you operate in? Um, Where, for some of them, I was asking, historically, you know, have we ever worked together? Do you have any experience Mm -hmm. with the Community Foundation? If so, what was that like? If not, what are your thoughts on how we would potentially work with one another? Um, I think that we have a really big opportunity because CFA has been more donor-centered, kind of inward-facing, that we have a little bit of a blank slate. Um, So without getting ahead of my skis and saying, well, this is how we're going to partner with people, where we've really started is just by acknowledging the willingness and the want to be a more um, unique and or dynamic Mm -hmm. partner, knowing that if any of those entities have an idea about something that CFA could be doing to assist or support them, Um, I I might not be able to say yes immediately, but I can go and explore and figure out, is someone else doing this in another community? What does it look like? Um, You know, we hear public-private partnerships all the time in lots of different circles, and some people will tell you, well, that's what makes the world go round. The communities that are doing really dynamic things, it's because they've kind of cracked the nut with public-private partnerships. I do think um, at the core of what could those partnerships look like is a little bit of the, the PPP, <clears throat> um, in part because CFA being a nonprofit, we can be a very unique funding partner on projects. Mm-hmm. So we are navigating that, actively exploring it. Um, and I guess one thing I would say, too, is all of those organizations that I mentioned, each of their leaders has been incredibly generous with their time and their insight with me. And they've been patient with me as I've asked a lot of questions. And I hope they all have heard loud and clear that CFA seeks to be um, the kind of partner that they need Mm -hmm. um, and wants to be a better connector, too, of resources. Um, There is certainly the idea that, you know, CFA, I'm I'm over there sitting on a big pile of money. (laughs) And it's important to remind people, well, it's not, not, you know, my money. It is the money of donors, um, and and we're going to mostly do what they intend to be done with those dollars. However, um, we do want to get to know our donors in a more—in um, in a deeper way, a more robust way. Yes, I want to help you give to the organization that you care about, but I also want to know what are your values as a philanthropist? What are the things in this community that you love and want to preserve? What are the things in this community that maybe bother you and— You know, you want to use your philanthropic resources to uh, Mm -hmm. remedy. Um, And then we want to be able to kind of be at the intersection uh, of—we have donors who have expressed a willingness to to learn about other opportunities, to consider investments and other things, and then be able Mm -hmm. to really be that bridge of resources and projects and opportunities in the community.
0: You know, this was on a small level, but I remember years ago learning about— how CFA could help people that didn't have a lot of money, like we were talking about earlier. And for most of us, setting up a 501c3 is just daunting Mm -hmm. to have to deal with the IRS. Maybe it's easier now than it used to be. But if you could talk about that some, you were talking about partnering, but I remember after one of the floods Karen Crow had in 2012, we went to the CFA, Upper Lafayette did, just individuals, and wanted to put up money that could be given, but where people could give it, as a tax exempt donation mm-hmm. and are y'all still doing that kind of thing where small and, you know, small contributions can be made where I guess that's what you mean by donor advised funds, but to bring it down to a basic level where people understand what it is that you offer.
1: Yeah. Well, particularly when it comes to disaster response and recovery, you see, community foundations—ours is no exception. We get very involved in those moments because when a community experiences a crisis, both individuals from within that community, businesses, um, sometimes, you know, individuals or businesses from outside of the community say we want to help. And yes, the community foundation can accept those dollars and activate, you know, a disaster response or recovery fund where we're able to grant that out. To assist with um, whatever a community may be facing, um, so those types of funds do exist. And and in terms of disaster, we have not only you know a mechanism for us locally, but even sometimes when disasters are helping it, happening elsewhere, we will we will launch a fund. On the donor advised fund front, um, you know anyone can establish a donor advised fund. It is a component fund of the community foundation. When you make a contribution to that fund, um, you are making a contribution to CFA, and therefore, you know you are you're getting your your tax exempt um, gift right then and there. But those dollars, as is the name, donor is advised fund, um, you are able to determine where you want those dollars to go. So if towards the end of this year, you said, okay, well, based on the type of year that I've had or just what I'm looking to accomplish charitably, I want to put $10,000 in a donor advised fund. Well, you can do that, accomplish what you need to accomplish before 1231. But uniquely, you have the opportunity to wait on figuring out, well, what do you really want to do with those dollars? Mm -hmm. So if, and, and sometimes timing, you know, does play a role, but, you know, maybe you're, Your favorite nonprofit, uh, they're having a a capital campaign that you know about. And so mid-year next year, you'd really like to make a gift. Well, you can put those dollars in Mm -hmm. a DAF today, but you can wait until whenever you want to wait to to grant those dollars out. And we do the work, CFA does the work, to ensure that whoever you are looking to grant to is a legitimate 501c3 Mm -hmm. nonprofit church or school um, so that— we're dotting I's and crossing T's and ensuring that your charitable dollars are being spent charitably mm-hmm. in the eyes of the IRS.
0: Yeah. Um, is there a management fund that people have to—like a—
1: A for, fee? Uh-huh. There is. It's nominal. Fee, yeah. Yeah, it's nominal. Um, there is a, a management fee, and it is—also, people have the ability—you um, know, when, when your dollars are put into a fund at CFA, you have the opportunity to invest those dollars— which oh, in a good. in a healthy market, you know, those dollars right. are going to grow, and the growth of your fund is just that—it grows your fund, it mm-hmm. grows the dollars you're able to grant out. Um, so we have a very uh, passive platform for individuals. If they say, "Yep, I want to establish a donor advised fund," and maybe I, I don't currently work with a, um, you know, an investment advisor or anything like that, I would. I'm going to choose to have my dollars put in a risk-averse mix or a moderate mm-hmm. mix or an aggressive mix or even a Catholic values mix. Um, there are other individuals who come to us and say, I want a donor-advised fund, but I would, I would still like for my um, investment advisor to manage it. So we can create partnerships uh-huh. in that way, too, where— your fund is at CFA and doing great things in the community, but you're still working with your yeah. advisor that you love.
0: You have had to learn a lot, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm.
1: There's still lots that I have to learn, too. Well, of course, yes. always. And then in addition to that, you mentioned businesses. Um, CFA does have uh, corporate-advised funds in the same way that you have a donor-advised fund. And there are some businesses who come to us and want to house their charitable dollars at CFA— Some of them want assistance with how those dollars are being granted out. Um, Additionally, we have a number of scholarship funds that live at CFA2 Hmm. where our staff is able to provide the necessary support needed um, to manage those scholarships.
0: Wow. Gosh. Are there some things you wanted to talk about that I haven't brought up? Did I miss one of the big items you wanted to tell us about?
1: One of the things that uh, I'm very interested in CFA defining and digging into is how we best support the nonprofits in our community. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have been the CEO of a couple of nonprofits now. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, I have a lot of respect for the nonprofit community and the work that they're doing, outside of Sola Giving Day, which we've been doing for six years, and it's wildly successful. Um, this last year, the Day of Giving raised $1.82 million wow. for nonprofits. Gosh. Um, and that entire event, you know, we are the the back office. We manage the the platform and everything going into it. But the dollars that are raised are, are granted out to the organizations. Um, so it is a an event that really does have a direct impact on nonprofits in the community. And interestingly, this last year, one of the things that we introduced to the event were uh, Venmo and PayPal options. And How did that go? It went really well. What we saw was an increase in the number of transactions, Mm -hmm. a decrease in the average size of gifts, um, which tells me— that you had more people giving mm-hmm. and that we eliminated, I think, um, you know, some some barriers for yeah. entry. And look, my email address was copied or connected to the marketing at CF Acadiana <laughs> email address. So I saw all the transactions coming through, and people were giving $5, $10, to $20 AML8 to all kinds something. of things. Yeah. And so— um, That's great. You know, the purpose of that event is for it to be like a true community mm-hmm. event that anyone can participate in. And that tells me that um, probably more than any other year, this last year was was our most well-rounded Sola Giving Day. But I really want to help to answer the question, what what is the Community Foundation's role in supporting nonprofits? Um, I've seen some Community Foundations who have, uh, you know, they've built out kind of a nonprofit support services arm, some that offer consultative services to nonprofits— some who offer shared back office services. I mean, you name it, there's a lot of things. But I really want to see us drill down and define that. And um, I've talked with a number of donors and a number of family foundations, and I think that they are also interested in the community foundation playing a bigger role in helping our nonprofits Mm -hmm. to work smarter, to collaborate, to eliminate some duplication Mm -hmm. of efforts. So I'm very interested in, in digging into that. The other thing that um, I definitely want to share is, you know, I don't think it would be a surprise to either of you for me to say we live in one of the most generous communities around. We live in an incredibly familial community. Um, I see a huge opportunity for the Community Foundation to enhance some of what we're already doing with donors to include family philanthropy and multi-generation philanthropy. Oh. Some of that happens naturally. People come to the table and a son or daughter is, mm-hmm. you know, with them and they're thinking through, you know, succession planning. But I've been really impressed with some community foundations who have really put a stake in the ground and said, family philanthropy is a true service we want to provide Um you know we want to be able to respond to donors of all ages. So, I'm hoping as we go through this process as well, we dig into that a little bit more because mm-hmm. I think we have all of the makings just based on who our community is and how we operate. I think those are things that um that could be really valuable here in in our community and I think CFA would be a great place for some of those services mm-hmm. to live and um You know, not just a service for, you know, answering the question for today what is your family's legacy? What does philanthropy mean to you? But engaging the next generation, whether they're in their 30s, their 20s, their teens, whatever, in exposing them to philanthropy and getting Mm -hmm. them to start thinking sooner about what is my role in this place that I call home? How am I giving back? Mm Um, how am I going to continue my family's legacy moving forward? So more to come on that, but I'm I'm very interested in digging into That's it. That's
0: really fascinating because so many people just need to be educated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To be aware, as we talked about earlier, of what we don't know.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I have a personal question from our last podcast. We enjoyed hearing you talk about your early dancing career. Oh, yes. Are you still enjoying dance? <laughs> your Your family, like, you know— And if y'all haven't heard the first podcast, I'll put it in the show notes. But the the interview was so interesting, but you really had a love of dance. A a love
1: of dance, a career in dance. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, some people still I will get very random questions frequently, like, is it true? (laughs) Yes, it is true. Unfortunately
0: or fortunately. Yes.
1: So these days, I'm a dance mom. Okay. Um, my, I have three children, Julian, who's 12, Camila is nine and Lucia is five. And the girls both dance a whole lot. Um, and, you know, I want to make sure that like, it's their thing and it's not my thing. So I'm, I'm there to help when
0: asked or needed, but I try not to Mm -hmm. impose myself. What are they into? Like tap the little one? What is she Uh, like?
1: Well, they do, I guess they kind of do it all. They do tap, ballet, jazz, Mm -hmm. you name it. Um, I'm biased, of course. I think they're both great. And if they wanted a a future in dance, I'm sure they could have one. Um, But, you know, these days, my connection to it is primarily that. And then I do still get looped into the occasional um, dance competition, Uh judging or (laughs) dance team uh, tryout, or we are are in the thick of national season, which I don't expect y'all to know this, but all of the high school teams right now are gearing up for nationals, which will happen in late January, early February, and a couple times a year, someone usually says, "Hey, can you come and check it, out this routine fine? and let me know what you think?" Yeah. Um, and it's still there; it's still in the back of my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might not be the one on the floor doing the <laughs> the, moves, the move, yeah. <laughs> um, but I can certainly, um, you know, critique and provide mm-hmm. feedback, and um, and also get them excited, not only about, you know, what are you doing right now, but how did that experience for me lead to other things in my life? Um, I just recently went and spoke to, it was cheerleading, not dancing, but I went and spoke to a cheer team, um, a high school cheer team that the the ask was, will you come and, and visit with them about like the elements of teamwork, how that shows up in your life today, 20 years later, and what you would tell them to really pay attention to and um, lean into during their last few years of high school. And I thought that was really cool because so frequently um, I am drawing on those experiences from when I was on the dance team or in the dance Mm -hmm. class. And I wouldn't have thought when I was 18 that that those were things that I would be like utilizing daily Mm -hmm. in my professional life.
0: I think the confidence and poise it takes To perform and the discipline,
1: and anyone that I work with would tell you too that like Mm -hmm. I frequently throw a kickball change in there. There's there's (laughs) actual things that I can't help myself. I might walk down the hallway and do a little like you know a little move real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, you know I I I spoke to the cheerleaders about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, so many times in your life whether you're performing on a stage with a team or you're standing up in front of a, a room full of people and having to talk about your strategic plan for the yeah. organization that you're now in charge of. Um, you have to you have to embrace some of that discomfort and learn how to use it, mm-hmm. you know, to your advantage. So, So, yes, Jan, I'm not dancing so much these days, but it's still there, and uh, I still get to use it and elements
0: from it all the time. Right. Well, thank you. Now, Jason, I know you've been taking notes. Do you have any questions?
2: I have. I have have all sorts of notes. I'm going to have to narrow it down. First of all, Missy, thank you for being here. When uh, everybody heard that you were coming today, everybody got really excited. Apparently, everybody knows you here. So, uh, so That's exciting. Thank thank you. Yeah. uh, Some of our on-site guys, they know you. and like, oh, Missy's coming. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, So, thank you for for stopping by. Uh, First question, what is a kickball change?
1: A kickball change? You know, Uh where you kick, step, step.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah.
1: It's like what you learn when you're, you know, four and in your dance class. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, if we
2: pulled up the security cameras at CFA, we might see that walking down the hall every now and then. um,
1: (laughs) That, among other things, for
2: sure. All right. I I like it. Uh, When you were going through your resume, it seems like a lot of— your endeavors are very philanthropic. What draws you to that?
1: Um, I mentioned earlier, like, I, I don't think I ever would have would have seen myself going down the path that I went down. So Jan mentioned my, my dance and my dance career. Following mm-hmm. that, I was in um, corporate sales, pharmaceutical sales, for a long time. Okay. And the company I worked for went through a layoff. And I didn't get laid off, but the experience was one, that I just felt like, okay, I don't want to work for an organization that just cuts me, you know, based on circumstances. Like, I want to provide value, and I want to feel like I am valuable. And that's what brought me to the Chamber of Commerce. Um, it was my my first opportunity to work in a very community-centered organization. Mm-hmm. And I said I'd drink the Kool-Aid. You know, my, my dad's advice to me at the time was, You know, leave pharmaceutical sales and go work at the Chamber of Commerce. Either you're going to love it and that's cool, or you're not going to love it, but you're going to be exposed to so many great people that a door will open for you. Mm -hmm. And he was right. I went there and I really loved it and um, was able to apply my corporate and professional experience to more of like a grassroots community organization. And, and, Kind of fell in love with that. I've all along the way I've been able to apply um, the skills and the expertise that I gained working for very large companies to very local entities that do great work and that need just a bit of a need some refinement and need a boost. So
2: that makes sense. That's awesome. Uh, so I'm going to kind of project here a little bit because when I drive around, we see a piece of land. We go, "Wow, that'd make a great you know."
1: P.F. Chang, just kidding. Well, yeah. well I, sometimes Joe's. that pops up, yeah, or
2: Trader <laughs> Joe's, yeah, or, or, yeah. A lot of times it's, you know, dog park, right, and kind of going off some of the Midwest dog parks, the big 10-acre ones, like especially the corner of Vero and uh, uh, Pinhook over there. Mm-hmm. there is a big plot of land. Does that happen to you when you drive around? And if so, what kind of things pop in your head? Like, this like this community is missing this one thing that would be great right here.
1: Yes and no. Um I don't know if I see a big, you know, blank green space and have lots of ideas. I think I'm actually maybe the opposite. I see all of these buildings, some of which are not being utilized, or they're just underutilized, and I think to myself, man, what could this be? What could this become? Um, I would love for us as a community to start dreaming a, a little bit more when we think about how our community has grown, how we continue to sprawl and expand. I am uh, a believer that looking back into the core of the community and saying, okay, what are we what are we doing here? How are we taking care of what we already have? Mm-hmm. How are we repurposing it? How are we putting it back into commerce um, is a really important piece of the conversation that we that we don't always have. So I don't know if I have for you like that thing, that quote unquote thing that I think we're really missing. I do think you know. I look at um, I look at Moncus Park and just the absolute jewel that it mm-hmm. has become. And I do think, man, there's probably some other parts of town that mm-hmm. could use a really high quality park and an amenity like that that yeah. was more accessible to families. Um, but I tend to look at buildings and go, "Hmm, uh-huh. what could that be? What could move in there and and?" you know, get people excited about what's possible.
2: Yeah. I like that answer. That's way better than what goes through my head when I say park. <laughs>
1: I mean, don't get yeah. me wrong. I love a dog park.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I, I like that. Use what's already there and yeah. use and repurpose it.
1: In fact, have y'all seen on Bertrand that random office building that I think is becoming a like a beer garden?
0: Where is that? Close to Johnston? or um... Okay, so
1: if you turn onto Bertrand, yeah. you got Chase Bank on the yeah. left. yeah. You got a Midas something on the right. On the right, right
0: yep. Then mm-hmm.
1: next to it— Oh, yeah. They have totally converted this former office building into this beautiful outdoor space that I think is going to be like a beer garden.
0: And that's a great location, right?
1: It's a great location. That's, amazing, that's like yeah. I can't even tell you what was there before, but, like, I look at that little strip, mm-hmm. and you think, gosh, you're so close to Moncus Park, and oh. you're so close to UL. UL,
0: and—I know.
1: Like— those are the kinds of things that, you know, that that business certainly wasn't my idea. I'm not the one who did it, but I look at it and I'm like, yes, more of that. How mm-hmm. do we take these, these things that maybe I'm not even paying attention to and turn it into something or a place where people want to be that is going to, um, you know, generate dollars for our community and and give people another great thing to do on a a weeknight or a weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, I look around and uh, I hope we see more of those things popping up.
2: That's great, yeah. Especially things that, like you said, things to do on the weeknights and the weekends. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. You mentioned Sola Giving Day. Are there other fundraising events, whether or not sponsored by CFA, that are always on your radar every year? Like I know there's a few for me, like Games of Acadiana everybody loves. But is there any any other ones that kind of excite you that are like, I'm really looking forward to this event?
1: Um, I've talked about Moncus Park a couple of times. I live adjacent to the park, so full disclosure. I mean, we use it frequently, and it is something that I've—my um, my family and I, we've really come to enjoy. Their gala each spring, I think they've done a really great job with it. I actually brought my son to the last one in part because I was like, these are the people who make this park possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this part doesn't happen, like, overnight. These are these are people who are really invested in this project. So that's an event that um, that I really love. I always love the UL Spring Gala. Oh, um, mm-hmm. That's another one that, like, it is always just a very high-quality room full of people who, are, um, who have given back significantly to the university, but oftentimes to many other causes as well. Yeah. And this is a plug for something that's happening next week that we are a part of. Um, but the Lafayette Civic Cup, which isn't a mm-hmm. fundraiser, okay, but for 91 years, um, consistently each year one person has been honored as the Civic mm-hmm. Cup winner. Uh, we are we house um, that partnership or that fiscal sponsorship. The Lafayette Civic Cup is its own, um, you know, its own group, but we help to we mm-hmm. help to support them throughout the year. Their event is next week, and uh, I went for the first time last year when Lenny LeMoyne was being honored and was totally blown away by the people in the room. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah.
1: Um, And this event that's happening next week, dare I say it's the hottest ticket in town. You can't get one. It's totally sold out. Who's being honored? Uh, Mr. Rodney Savoie.
0: Rodney Savoie, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah.
1: So that is is an an event that I'm really looking forward to because, you know, anytime you get to— really honor a person's contributions and someone like Rodney, who's, you know, never looking for recognition, but mm-hmm. really has done some incredible things in our community to have a night to honor his contributions. And, and I always like to think too, inspire others, you know, mm-hmm. by, by their example to, to get other people thinking about how am I giving back? What am mm-hmm. I doing in this community? Uh, it's going to be a really good event.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Uh, and then finally, how do people connect with Community Foundation to see—whether it's to donate, see what you guys are doing, see what's up and coming? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, probably the website, Facebook. Are there other things that we should be looking at?
1: Well, one thing that we did just do that I'd love to share with people is um, a few months ago, we launched a nonprofit community calendar. This has been a wow, that's good. gap yeah. for many, many years. There okay. is someone who used to kind of manage it, but we have launched— this calendar, it lives on our website, but we also distribute it once a month. And it's really intended to focus on nonprofit fundraisers mm-hmm. so frequently.
0: Oh, there's so many events going oh, on. There is so
1: many. And, I mean, it just happened a couple of weeks ago where there were probably three or four nonprofit fundraisers mm-hmm. that happened the, the same, same night. night.
0: Yeah, oh, wow. it's impossible to yes. keep up.
1: And You know, there's some really incredible donors who get invited to all of those, and they can't make it. So we have launched a nonprofit community calendar. We're hoping that it is a resource for both nonprofits and for donors to know what's going on, to claim your date ahead of time for next year when you're thinking about your event. Um, But also, you know, to to clear the pipes a little bit. We want people— To have really successful fundraisers, we want donors to be able to feel Mm -hmm. like they don't have to pick and choose what they're going to go to and what they're going to support. So we're hoping that this is a tool that everybody can use. So we uh, have—you can sign up for it. Um, We have, like, a separate newsletter, but it is on our website. email newsletter
2: that goes Mm -hmm. out or something.
1: And, you know, I will say the open rate—it's still pretty new, but the open rate of the nonprofit community calendar um, email that goes out— Last month, it was 84%. Wow. wow.
0: That's
2: huge. That's really good. I know. Man, we're lucky if we get like 5% on ours.
1: I know. When they told me that, I said, are you sure? But yes, it was 84%. So,
0: so we can share that with others, like yeah, on our own I think that people
1: are—I I, I just think people really—I think it's a valuable tool. Oh, it is. You know, so I think that people are going to look at it mm-hmm. and, you know, utilize it. And we're hoping that— that it is something really great for both nonprofits yeah. and um
0: that's always been an need. and I know different people have tried to do things but
1: mm-hmm. yeah and it's, and we have said to keep up. you know pretty clearly this is about fundraisers if you are seeking volunteers for something yeah. else that you want to do like you can work with the united way and other entities we are really just focused on mm-hmm. the fundraising side of things
2: okay i was um, going to ask that no so you no f- only fundraising, volunteer stuff is— like used. people
0: don't buy tickets on that. They just see something. what's on the calendar. Right. right. Okay.
1: So we don't have—you and we, you know, that's not a sandbox that we need to play in. Like, we don't do volunteer mobilization or that sort of thing. There are other nonprofits who are better suited to do that. Um, so this is really about—if you are doing something resource development or fundraising related, we want this calendar— um, to help you plan appropriately okay. and to avoid
0: conflicts, so you won't have like UL games and all on that. We
1: will probably put that uh-huh, on that's there. That's a big conflict because too. that is a conflict. Yeah. It might not be a traditional fundraiser, oh, but it a is a conflict. But, yeah. I mean,
0: people yeah. may not want to know like right. what else is going to be happening. Yeah, so
1: we do plan on uh, on adding that information, mm-hmm. but um, we just don't. You know, if it's a, a fall festival at a school, that's just kind of like a you know yeah. an engagement opportunity. Those types of things
0: probably this is not the right calendar for it to land on. Mm-hmm. But they can look and see when they should sure. schedule. Yeah,
2: that, That's great. Because, yeah, there's a lot of information out there in a lot of areas. So trying to find it is always difficult. I'm glad it's centralized. And the website is?
1: cfacadiana.org. Okay. Um, and there is a, a separate calendar tab that people can yeah. take a look at.
0: It's a nice website.
1: And then anything else that people need, you know, mm-hmm. I like to say I am easy to find. So... Uh, whether you go to our website, if you want to sit down with a member of our team, if you want to learn a little bit more about anything that I've said today, mm-hmm. um, we're always really excited to to get you know get to the boardroom table with you and say how can we help? What what do we need to know? What are your opportunities mm-hmm. and your challenges, and how can we help you
0: and get through those? One of the most beautiful buildings I think in in Lafayette. I, Have I'm, you been there? I'm yet? glad you said that.
2: No, I love it's their gorgeous. Office.
0: Yeah. I mean the the bricks, the the wood. It's just rich and simple. Yep, you know, elegant.
1: And thanks to the Lafayette Civic Cup honoree, Mr. Rodney Savla, oh. he's the person. He and his wife, Miss Cindy, made that office possible. Donation of the land. Oh, and the really? Building. It's yes. beautiful. It is beautiful. So we're very fortunate yeah. to be where we are, and we always invite people. You know, come on in and and see what we do. We are also very generous in in lending out our meeting mm-hmm. space. We have a large boardroom and a small boardroom, so we are frequently hosting. Um, both nonprofits and, you know, corporate for-profit entities who are looking for a great place to meet.
2: I was going to—I'm glad you said that because I think everybody's a little jealous of your, your boardroom. Yeah.
0: Thank you. It, it's large.
2: Well, it's spacious.
0: Sh- mm-hmm. yeah, Maybe it's we can schedule a poker game or something. <laughs> sure. <you> think, yeah. <laughs> oh, <a> bingo
2: night <laughs> at CFA. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Ooh,
2: no, no, even better.
0: Dance lessons.
1: Yeah. There you go. We kick, can
0: do that. What was it? Kick— Kickball change. Yep.
2: Kickball change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Friday night, CFA. <laughs>
0: right, be there, be square. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Missy's going to teach us some, some dance moves. Yep. Um, well, Missy, thank you for being here. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. We'll have you back at some point, I'm sure. Sure. So, uh, yeah, thanks again. Yeah.
0: Thank you all for having me. I really enjoyed it. What a pleasure. Thanks. Jason, thank you of for course. making our taping go successfully today. I want to thank Chris Rader, too, for his generosity. Missy Bianvenu Andrade, CEO of the Community Foundation of Acadiana. Thank you for all you do for our community. Thanks, Jan. I want to thank our listeners uh, for your loyal support. We have about 350 interviews of Discover Lafayette at our website, discoverlafayette.net. Please check it out. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, thank you. I'm Jan Swift.